Our reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray together again as we come to God's words. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is your word, it's not mine. Um, I thank you uh, that you speak it by your Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray that you would do that this evening. You would speak to, to our hearts. You would teach and admonish us uh, with all uh, wisdom all the wisdom that is hidden in you and that we would be built up together as your family as a result. Amen. So we are continuing our series that we've been going through for the last few weeks uh, on God's building project uh, and we've come to this theme of speaking to God's family. Uh, And as we think about this, uh, I want us to understand this thing. The words that we speak to each other as Christians tonight and through the week can transform people's lives, not just now, but a hundred years from now. Sago is that the words that you speak to each other tonight as you go to Costa could change the life of the person who is serving you your drinks. Uh, The conversations we have at at work or or at school or as we bump into each other in the street with with other Christians could influence the church for centuries. Listen to one man's story. One day I was in Bedford to work and in one of the streets of that town I came across three or four poor women sitting at a door in the sun and talking about the things of God. I drew near to hear what they said for I was now myself a brisk talker in matters of religion, but now, I may say, I heard, but I didn't understand, for they were far out of my reach. For their talk was about a new birth, the work of God in their hearts, also how they were convinced of their need of mercy. They they talked of how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus, and with what words and promises they had been refreshed, comforted, and supported against the temptations of the devil. And I thought they spoke as if joy made them speak. They spoke with such pleasant scripture language, and with such appearance of grace in all they said, they seemed to me as if they had found a new world. Therefore, I often went again and again into the company of these poor people, for I could not stay away. A casual conversation on a sunny day between a few Christian women led to the conversion of this man, John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, 
Uh, and he wrote that book, and it's been influencing people's lives for the last 400 years since he wrote it. So as you turn with me to Colossians 3 on page 1184, let's keep that in mind. Our words, by God's power and grace, can do far more than we may imagine. And I have three headings just to help us this evening. Uh, And they're as easy as one, two, three. Uh, There's one foundation for speaking to each other. There are two other needs before we open our mouths. And then there are three ways uh, of speaking to each other. So the one foundation is that we must be part of God's family. Uh, Everything that, that Paul says from chapter 3, verse 5 onwards, really, for the rest uh, of this section, is based on what he's already said in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. He said, since then you have been raised with Christ. He says in verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He he lays out these facts, and then in verse 5, therefore, therefore, and it it follows through. You see, the, the foundation of everything that Paul is calling these people to do Uh, is that they belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, We see it in our reading in verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. To speak to God's family, the foundation must be in place. We must be part of God's family. Now that may seem obvious, but it's, it's possible to speak like a Christian and not be one. When I was in school, I, I learned French and um, went to France on holiday a couple of times. I, you, may, you may have had the experience. You think, well, this is great. I can crack out my French and speak to the, the locals. So you, you go into the bakery and you say, uh, je voudrais une baguette. And the guy behind the counter says, well, that'll be 10 francs, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> what, what went wrong? How did he guess? knowing how to speak French doesn't make you French. And and we heard in that story from John Bunyan, he said he was a brisk talker in the matters of religion. He knew church language. He was into bell ringing, he tells us. He, he, He went to his local church. He could talk about these things. But he knew and realized when he spoke to those women, when he heard those women speak, he was not a Christian. That foundation must be in place. We must belong to Jesus Christ if we're going to speak Christian words to one another. But the one foundation also affects how we talk to each other. It it sets the, the standard for how we speak to each other. Because it transforms who we're talking to. Uh, we were... Uh, just with, with Mandy's family in the States. And uh, just before we went, my, my aunt uh, loves family history stuff. Uh, and she discovered uh, that I apparently am related to a certain William Brewster who sailed on the Mayflower to America. Um, so I'm more American uh, than Mandy, even though she's from Alabama. Um, but while we were, while we were there, um, Mandy's dad uh, knows the, the guy who runs the Alabama chapter of the Mayflower Society. So everyone who's descended from someone on the Mayflower can, can join. And so he introduced me to this guy on the phone. So uh, as I was talking to him ab- about these different things, he said, uh, you know, Johnny, you have married into a good family. 
He said, I have so much respect for, for Senator Lipscomb and for his wife and his kids. And, and he spoke to me in that conversation with the honor and respect that he had for Mandy's family. Not, not because he, he'd never met me. I mean, we'd just been talking on the phone for 10 minutes. But because I was linked with the family, I received honor and respect. As, as members of God's family, we ourselves have received honor and respect. Not, not because of ourselves, but because we're part of the family. Because Jesus Christ is given that honor and respect. And so that transforms how we talk to each other. We talk to each other with the honor and respect that comes from being part of that family. So the foundation, being part of God's family. But we're not quite ready to talk yet because Paul gives us two further guides to direct our conversation. Uh, The first, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ, Paul says, is like a tennis umpire determining what is in and what is out. Sometimes it's obvious you don't always need the umpire in a game of tennis to tell you what's out, do you? Verse 8, he's already said, you must read yourselves of things, all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. There's some things which are just so out of bounds, you don't even need the umpire to tell you. But then, what, what about the less obvious things? You know, the things that, that are pretty close to the lines. How do we decide what to do when those difficult situations when you're not quite sure, should I say something or should I stay quiet? Uh, should I keep on arguing or, or should I just back down? What kind of tone of voice should I use in this situation? Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. Now, we mustn't misunderstand him. He, Paul is not like some 60s hippie just saying, let peace rule. You know, I'm, I'm an introvert, so if, if Paul said, let peace rule, I'd be pretty happy because I, um, as strange as it may sound standing here talking to you all, I, I'm quite happy not to talk. You know, I'm quite happy to keep quiet, you know, avoid the conflict, just, just hold back. You know, let peace rule, that would be lovely. But, but that's not what he says. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. Flick back with me to chapter 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, uh, well, God was pleased, verse 19, through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things by making peace, through his blood shed on the cross. See, the peace of Christ is costly. It cost him his life. It cost him everything to purchase peace for us. So when Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule, it it may cost us as we follow in his steps. If we love talking it, it may mean that there are times we're going to have to be quiet if we love winning the argument, the peace of Christ may say to you, you've got to lose this one. If, like me, you love being quiet, the peace of Christ may say, you've got to talk up, you've got to speak. So let's ask ourselves, what is my goal as I speak after the church tonight having coffee? What is my goal as I speak 
uh, in my house group or, or at Refresh? What is my goal as I, as I go to Sago this evening in what I say? Do I want to be the, the funny one, the, the controversial one, you know, have a bit of an argument? Uh, do I want to be the quiet one, just, just step back in the corner? Or do I want to be the one ready to bring the peace of Christ, however it needs to be brought? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the second thing that Paul says we need, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if, if the peace of Christ is, is giving us those guidelines on, on how we speak and, and why, uh, the word of Christ, Paul says, is, is governing the content of our speech, what we say. Uh, and it's, it's the word about Christ, it's the message about Christ and the words of Christ himself. The, the message about him, his, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, return, that those facts about Jesus Christ, what he has done, uh, Jesus promised in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. But, but it mustn't stay at that. It mustn't stay at that factual knowledge of, of what he's done. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. What has he done for us? Those women that, that John Bunyan overheard, it says, talked of how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus. The word of Christ comes to us. It's for us. A couple of days after our son died, a friend came and visited us. And he, he spoke some words from Ecclesiastes to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, Better than both the living and the dead... Better than both is, is he who has not yet been, who has never seen all the evil done under the sun. And those words were so comforting to us then and, and still now. And he, he brought it, the word, the word of God. He brought the Bible, but he, he gave it to us. It, it made a difference to us. Let the word of Christ dwell in, in you richly. What has he done for you? And, and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I think he says that because it's possible for the word of Christ to dwell in us cheaply. It, it's like the difference between the box of celebrations just before you open them on Christmas Day and the box of celebrations on New Year's Day. You see, you open them and you've, it, it's full of variety and everyone can have the one they want. You can satisfy everyone from your box of celebrations. It's great. And then you get to New Year's Day and there's just a bunch of bounty bars in there, and a couple of Snickers, and you're, you're stuck. I mean, what if they don't like them? If the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we, we have variety. We, we can speak to people in every situation for, for their need, what they need at that point. But, but if it dwells in us cheaply, we're desperately hoping that they want a bounty bar, because that's all that we've got. Do, do we have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly? Do we know what to say to, to someone who's just struggling at school because their teacher is so anti-Christian, is really intimidating them? Do, do we know how to speak to the person who's, whose boss at work is just piling on the work and they're putting them under pressure and they're so busy and tired and they don't know what to do? Do we know the, the word of Christ to the person who's, who's got an elderly friend who's, who's close to death who doesn't know Jesus Christ? What, what is the word of Christ there? Or, or the person who's just thinking, is God really there? And does he really care? You know, do we have this word of Christ dwelling in us richly to cover all these situations? 
So we've got the one foundation in place and the two guides as the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Uh, And now we're ready to talk. So what do we say? How do we say it? Well, Paul outlines three ways of speaking. Um, I'll cover the first two very briefly and then we'll talk a little bit more about singing. But he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So teaching and admonishing the first two. Paul puts them together. They're they're two sides, really, of the same coin. And it's pretty straightforward. Um, we, We need teaching and we need admonishing or warning or correcting. And the fact that, that Paul puts them together shows us we, we can't get away just with one. We, we can't get away either with purely positive, everything's great encouragement, go for it. And we also cannot just simply do the kind of, well, you really shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't have done that. You, could, you know, We've got to have both. We all need encouragement and comfort and warning and correction. And we need to love each other enough to give it. But who, who does this? Is it, is it the guy who gets given the sermon slot? Is it, is it the, the house group leader or the, the Sago leader or whoever it is? You know, is it the official people? Well, no, Paul says. It's all of us. You teach and admonish one another. Again, let's just quickly flick back to chapter 1 again, verse 28 this time. Chapter 1, verse 28. Paul talking about himself and his his team that are with him. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. You see, Paul is saying what he does as an apostle and what he and, and his friends do with him as they go around, he says, Colossians, you do that, all of you. Not, not necessarily in the same way. He's not saying, come on, let's all you know, go around the Mediterranean, but but all of you do, do that to each other, for each other. It, this isn't a professional go to theological college and then maybe you can talk to each other. No, this is, this is just all of us now teaching and admonishing each other, helping each other, encouraging each other in the Christian faith. And it, it means that we need to be willing and ready to be taught and admonished by people older than us, younger than us, more educated than us, less educated than us. Whatever it is, we need to be ready to receive that from each other. But let's finally move on to singing. Uh, A lot of these thoughts on singing aren't mine originally. Um, I read a very helpful blog this week by a guy called Bob Coughlin, who's a worship leader in the States. Um, So don't give me any credit for any of this. But singing, firstly, is not optional. It's not just here to provide a bit of variety in the church service. It's not just here to give us a chance to stretch our legs after a particularly long sermon. It, it, is, it is necessary, Paul says. It's vital for our joy and our health. It is vital for the full riches of the word of Christ to dwell in the church. It's necessary. And it may feel weird it may feel particularly weird when someone's turned all the chairs around so you have to look at each other while you sing. It, it may make us feel self-conscious. It may be that we don't think we can sing. It may be that we really hope that the person beside us doesn't realize that we can't sing. You know, we, it, it, it's, 
it can feel hard. But look at what Paul says about singing. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Not with skill, not tunefully necessarily, He's with gratitude. You see, the, the key to, the, to, to singing is not necessarily what's coming out of your mouth, it's what's coming from your heart. That, that is what God is mostly concerned with, and it is expressed through our mouths, and we can be better at it or worse at it, but, but the key thing for Paul in our singing is how are our hearts? Sing with gratitude in our hearts. Our, our singing will be determined more by our gratitude for God's grace in Christ than by how good we feel we are at singing. But, but singing also enables us to express uh, and engage our emotions towards God in, in a way that goes beyond what we can do simply speaking or thinking. It, it enables us to express a full range of emotions, from, from doubt to trust, from from disappointment with God to delight in him, from, from anger at him perhaps to joy in him. You know, you just read the Psalms. All of those are there in song uh, because God doesn't just want us thinking well about him or even speaking well about him. He's not just there to be, to be known or, or taught about. He's there to be loved and, and adored and glorified. And so he calls us and gives us singing as a way to express our emotions to him in a way that we can't do simply by speaking. And finally on singing, it shows we're together in God's family. We, we sing to each other. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to have that visually pictured for us this evening. We're singing to each other. It's an opportunity to, to come to a place, maybe after a week of being fairly isolated as a Christian, I don't know what it is like for you, but you can come and you suddenly realize I'm not on my own. There's a whole bunch of other people who are singing the same things as me. That we all believe this is true. It's, it, we sing to each other and encourage each other in that way. Uh, but we can also sing for each other. Uh, there, there are times when I, I've come to church and there are some of the songs I just can't sing for whatever reason. You know, there's all sorts of reasons. If we're crushed by grief, we might think, I just cannot sing that. But we can be part of a congregation where someone else is singing it for us. We can be part of a congregation when we're filled with joy. We, we can come and, and we can praise God and we get a whole bunch of other people praising him with us. We can be right in the middle of utter darkness and despair and come to church and hear people singing about hope and trusting God and that it doesn't go on forever. We can sing for each other. And so when we're singing, it's not just us and God and, oh, I don't really like this song, so I'm not going to do this. It, you could, might be singing for someone else. It enables us to show that we're together in God's family. There's, there's a lot more could be said about singing about all of this, but I, I want to close just by returning to John Bunyan's words. Because he gave a powerful account of how the way we speak to each other can show other people a new world of life with God. And I hope that we as God's family can grow in how we speak to each other so that, that we will hear people say, 
of us, what John Bunyan said of those women. Therefore, I often went again and again into the company of these poor people, for I could not stay away. Amen.